0: Okay, that is where we will go. The book of Luke and chapter number 18. Well, um, you know, I like to ask this, especially on Monday, Monday night. How many of you today was definitely a Monday? Anyone like it? Yeah, okay. Any of you get attacked by Monday? Was it cruel and evil to you? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, today was definitely a Monday for me. I tried really hard, but uh, it just, uh, everything kind of collapsed, and uh, we're still trying to catch up with ourselves. It was nice having a little bit of a restful lunch uh, with you folks, and i um, thankful for you, and um, that, that was enjoyable. Uh, we are, some of you have asked, our trailer is in the shop right now, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, that means things are getting- Taken care of, and so we're thankful for that. A few of you have asked about that, so uh, so that's uh, getting done. Uh, Otherwise, uh, we're doing okay, and uh, we're glad to see you made it out on a Monday night. It's gorgeous. I mean, the sun is still up in other places on the continent. The sun is not up at this time of the day of, uh, you know, on... um, uh, you know, this time of the day and this time of the year. And so uh, most of my preaching that I do is out, you know, more in the south, a little in the, some of the northeast and some of the Midwest. And so, uh, so it's nice to be out in Idaho where the sun is still out at, uh, in March, you know, at, uh, at uh, 730 in the evening. So, uh, so that's great. Well, listen, I hope that you will let God's Word help you tonight. One of the things that I, um, I think I may have mentioned here uh, is that uh, when you come, now one thing I know is that you've come here, and a lot of you had, uh, you know, you've had work today. Others of you, you had school today. You've got work tomorrow. You've also got uh, school work tomorrow, and so one of my things I always try to do is my, always my goal, and uh, usually, and I'm not just trying to say this. I really usually am able to land right in the goal of uh, once we hit about 815, that's right about the spot, no later than 820 is when I like to have the service done. In other words, I'll have Pastor Phil up here. Um, He will be up here closing in prayer, so that way you can get out. So that way, uh, you know, if you go, if if you don't leave here until nine o'clock, it's your fault, not mine. Um, how many of you have ever been in a special, we'll say special service? So that's that lets Pastor Jeff out of this. I don't know how long he preaches. Um, but uh, how many of you ever been in a special service that started at like seven and you didn't get out till like Nine, and it was definitely the preacher's fault. You ever uh, been that? Anyone later than nine, like ten? Anyone been one of those? You've been in one of those? Okay. Um, uh, This will not be that service. Okay, Lord willing, Uh, I don't. uh, I have been in those and had to work the next morning. And you know what? You love the Lord, but you also need to get to bed. Okay. And so, um, so you've made the sacrifice to be here. And I remember, uh, you know, as a teenager. And, all uh, you know, having a job. And I would switch all my schedules. When Revival Week came, I'd switch my schedules. So I was working mornings. I'd work 6 to 2 or 7 to 4 7 to 5, 8 to 5. And uh, that way I could get home and get some food and then get over here quick for the services. And then, you know, the next morning you got to be at work. So, um, uh, you know, if you have kids at school, you might have to get er- up early to get kids to school. Or, you know, you might be homeschooled and you're just like, well, what's the big deal? You know, I just, uh, I get up when I do. And uh, um, so, but we'll be considerate of that. I just want you to know that uh, I've been there and uh, rushing out the door and all that and trying to get home. So, uh, so like I said, if you're here till nine o'clock, uh, it'll be your fault shouldn't be mine, okay? Uh, So we're going to look at a passage that I also, I say, is that um, if you're going to take the time to be here, um, one of the things that is going to happen is you will not just get, uh, I don't know, a little pat on the back and just a little, uh, you know, I don't know, a little uh, cute sermon, is that we're going to look to be impacted by the Word of God. And uh, if you came here tonight just to uh, just get patted on the back and be told you're doing okay, um, you might have come to the wrong place. Not because you're going to be torn apart, but because we are going to be confronted with God's word and with God's character. And we and we should all have the attitude, especially if you're a Christian, have the attitude of, God, if you show me something that needs to change, I will change it. Because none of us are perfect. And especially, I think we will see that, from this passage here this evening, okay? So let's go ahead down to, uh, to the book of Luke, chapter 18 is where we're at, and give me just a second, I gave you all that time to uh, find out where you, uh, your place was in your Bible. I'm just going to grab my water uh, so, that I don't, uh, end, you know, so that I don't end up getting too dry up here, okay? Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at a familiar, I think if probably a familiar passage of Scripture, but I hope it will come alive to you this evening. It says here in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this Publican, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself. Shall be exalted. I don't know if you've ever heard of an evangelist, a preacher by the name of Roy Hession. Roy Hession was an evangelist and he preached mostly in Great Britain, but his, um, especially his heyday, if you want to call it that, was probably uh, about the 1940s, 1950s. Roy Hession was doing a lot of preaching uh, in the British Isles. And around 1947, I was reading a book that he wrote. And uh, around the year 1947, he said at the beginning of his book, he said there came a point in his life where he had, quote, lost the power of the Holy Spirit, and he knew it. I'll tell you what, um, there's a lot of things that, uh, there's a lot of things that can happen in preaching, okay? Uh, weird things happen if you preach long enough. A lot of weird stuff happens because just look around you. There's a lot of strange people out there in the audience, and so unusual things can happen uh, when you're in a service, okay? Uh, but one of the things I fear more than anything else is that I would preach and not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And really, any preacher who's just worth uh, worth his, uh, his weight in gold would say the exact same thing, would say, boy, my goodness, other stuff might go wrong, but if nothing else, let it not be said that I, you know, didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit when I preached. And um, Roy Hessian said that even though he said, I knew I lost the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, I continued to preach evangelistic campaigns and to continue to preach. And he said, it was a terrible feeling. But then he said, because of this terrible feeling that really he knew God's presence was gone. He said, I just redoubled my efforts and became more forceful as I preached. Oh, I said that didn't work either. So, um, so around April of 1947. Uh, he was going to be um, he was going to be in charge of an Easter conference, and so he invited uh, a bunch of uh, missionaries from Eastern Africa who had just recently seen God do some great revival in East Africa. And so and so he brought them in. You know, here's men who have actually seen revival firsthand just in the months that, uh, before, and so he brings them in as some of his main speakers. And he and Roy Hessian said this. He said, "Quote as my wife." And others humbled themselves before God and experienced the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. He said, I found myself left somewhat high and dry. And he said, when at the end of the conference, others testified as to how Jesus had broken them at his cross and filled their hearts to overflowing with his spirit, I had no such testimony. And then he said, it was not until he said, I got a cleansing from personal sin that he said the power of the Holy Spirit came back. Now, if you're like me, you want to know what was the preacher's sin? I know some of you are thinking that right now, and you're thinking, yeah, what was this preacher's sin? Because if you're, and again, if you're like me, you're thinking, must have been a pretty big deal to lose the power of the Holy Spirit and to know it. Well, you know, when you think of preachers, probably the first thing you think of was, oh, was there a moral failure? Did he cheat on his wife? No, he did not. Oh, well then, okay, preachers, you know, evangelists, was he stealing some money? You know, was he stealing money out of the offering plate? Uh, No, he was not embezzling any funds at all. You know what he said in his opening to his book? You know what he said was the sin that blocked the power of the Holy Spirit in his life? You know what it was? It was the way he treated his wife. Now, I hope you're not sitting there going, oh, was that all? You know, I thought it was something big. You know, don't do that, guys. Um, it, yeah, it was, you see, but you know what? It doesn't matter if you're man or woman. We all hear that. And even if you're a woman, I, I bet a lot of you, even you ladies think, really? was that all? I mean, not good, but was that all? Yes, one thing that Roy Hessian learned was that it does not matter can we use an American term? The size of the sin. Any sin is sin in God's eyes and is enough to block the power of God in your life. And so, what I want us to do is we're going to look at a passage of scripture that describes something called that Roy Heshen referred to in one of the quotes I read to you. It's the issue of brokenness. We're going to define it here in just a second, but can I just say this? There There are some messages that are, as I like to call them, they are no elbows messages, okay? In other words, do not be elbowing the person next to you because in something like this, it is so easy to think about someone sitting next to you or someone across the aisle or someone who did not get here tonight who you know needs this. Friend, this message was not preached for them tonight. It's for you. So please let God speak to you tonight and, and come dissatisfied yourself and willing for God to work in your heart and not necessarily in the heart of the person who you know needs it. So look if you would, Luke chapter 18. Now one of the things... Uh, Luke 18, verse 9 says, He spake this parable. One of the things, if you want to, um, when you come to a parable, sometimes we come to parables and we get a little, um, maybe intimidated by them, maybe a little confused, or, you know, you want to interpret them correctly. One of the things that helps us interpret um, parables correctly is if we look and kind of understand what is the situation that's going on around us, what has just happened that made Jesus, that triggered Jesus to give this story, to give this parable. Well, verse 9 says, He spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves. That means they had confidence in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, Jesus was talking to a group of people, a group of Jews, who assumed that they were righteous. You know, another word we might use is that they had a right standing before God. You know, one of the things that they, um, uh, Jews were big on is just simply, you know, uh, one of the, some, there were actually some Jews who believed that they were all but right with God simply because they were a Jew. I'm God's chosen people. Therefore, I have a right standing before God. And we say, wow, what arrogance. Folks, we do it too. We just use a different word. We say, well, I'm a fundamental independent Baptist. And I'm right in my doctrine. And I'm straight as an arrow. And so therefore, we think that just because we know God's word, we're in the right kind of church, that uh, we have a right standing with God. So don't mess that up or something like that. But folks, this was, he wrote this specifically to people who thought they had a right standing with God but they did not. In fact, he said uh, they were people who uh, thought that they were righteous, that trusted themselves that they were righteous. It says, and they despised others. Okay. That word others is a Greek word that means the rest or the remaining. In other words, they took literally everybody else who was not them, lumped them in one big bowl and just said, we have a right standing before God as opposed to everybody else. And these were the people that Jesus addressed and said uh, that Jesus is about to give this, um, uh, this uh, parable to, to let them know, listen, you may think that because you have good doctrine, you have uh, a certain status or standing, that you think that God, that you have a right standing before God. And Jesus was about to knock that out and to show them that they needed to be broken over their sin. All right, so let's get a definition uh, tonight for brokenness. What is brokenness? Now, uh, different people may define it different ways, and that's fine. Uh, this is, I think, I like simple, short definitions. Some people uh, write a definition so long that by the time you get to the end, you forgot what was at the beginning, okay? So I like simple and short. Here's a simple definition. You've probably heard of, um, you know, especially when people talk about revival, they talk about how we need brokenness and we need to be broken over sin. What is brokenness? Here it is. Here's a real simple definition. Brokenness is you calling sin whatever God calls sin. Watch this now. No matter how small. Brokenness is you calling sin whatever God calls sin. No matter how small. Because we don't mind calling the big thing sin. We don't mind amening when a preacher says that abortion is wrong. We don't mind getting excited when someone stands up and says that uh, you ought not to cheat on your spouse. You ought not to steal. Oftentimes it's because we're not doing it. And so we're feeling good about ourselves. And God says, you want to truly be broken before me. You want to be used by me. You want to see God do something with your life. He says, you're going to have to be broken. You're going to have to call sin whatever God calls sin, no matter how small. So, Jesus gives us this uh, parable, and in this parable, we have a broken man and an unbroken man, okay? we're gonna And so there's, there's your two points, the, the unbroken man and the broken man. We're going to look at the unbroken man first. We're going to settle on him for a little bit longer. When we get to the broken man, just trust me on this, we won't be going very, we won't spend very long with him because most of us don't need to see as much of him because most of us think, oh, that's where we are. But what we're going to do is we're going to Damon, the man who was not broken over his sin before God. And uh, if you'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you, he may show you that you're more like this unbroken man than you realize. So first of all, the unbroken man, who was he? Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. You say, now, what is a Pharisee? Now, of course, Jesus interacted often with the Pharisees. Um, The Pharisee, you ready for this? The word Pharisee, if you really kind of broke it down into what the word means, the word Pharisee simply means a separatist. Oh, there's a good Independent Baptist word. It just simply means a separatist. And so the Pharisees, used, uh, the Pharisees came out uh, really at a very good, uh, very um important time because what had happened was, of course, the nation of uh, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The two of them had been conquered, and a bunch of empires were conquering on top of each other. The Babylonians did the first conquering, uh, or the Assyrians, then the Babylonians conquered them, and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and then the Greeks come and conquered the Persians, and the Romans conquered the Greeks. And and so Israel is just kind of getting traded from one empire to the other. They're always conquered by someone uh, at this point after the fall of Jerusalem uh, in 586 BC. And so, and so one of the things that happened when the Persians conquered them, one of the things that the Persians did, Persians didn't mind so long as you did not rebel and so long as you paid your taxes. They did not mind basically that you could have your culture, You could keep your culture, you could keep your language, you could keep your religion, just don't rebel, and pay your taxes, essentially. And you know, the Jews, even though they were conquered by the Persians, you know, they were generally good with that. You know, they, okay, because they could at least keep all their Jewish culture, and they could keep their religion. Well, folks, uh, the Persians were eventually conquered by the Greeks. And the Greeks had a totally different philosophy. The Greeks believed that their culture was the best that there could ever be. And so when they conquered over, over nations and lands, and when they took over the Persian empire, the Greeks said, you have got to change your culture. You have got to change your religion and you have got to mimic and copy us. Well, if you're a Jew, that's a problem. Because the Greeks are going to ask you, they're going to ask you to worship their Greek gods. They're going to ask you to you know, get rid of your culture, which the Jewish culture was very much tied to their worship of the one true God. And so, and so there were people that said, you know, we cannot do this. This is not good. What are we going to do? You know, we've got to follow the law. We've got to please God. We can't go back into exile. We can't do this. What are we going to do? Someone's got to help us. And do you know what happened? Out of that situation rose a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, their job was basically this. They said, all right, listen, well, one, the most important thing we can do is to follow the law. Don't let get swept away into the Greek religion, into the Greek culture. We've got to follow God's law. And so the Pharisees really started out with a very good motive. But uh, it did not take long, and so actually one of the things the Pharisees would do is they said, listen, just to make sure that we don't succumb to the Greek culture and to the Greek religion, uh, let's, even if the law says this, let's let's not land on the line. Let's la- land above the line just to make sure we stay as far away from the Greek religion the Greek culture as we possibly can. And the Jews were okay with that because they said, oh yeah, we want to be extra careful. And so if the law said do this, the Pharisees said, hey everybody, we better do it a little bit more than that just to make sure we're not too close to the line well um that just kind of continued to snowball and eventually the pharisees are basically saying i know god's word says this but if you love god like i do you do this Something above what God's word says you need to do to please God. And eventually these Pharisees became very oppressive, but they were very um, uh, very controlling of the people. And eventually the Pharisees became really a blight on the people because they began to teach the people that you had to do even more than what the Old Testament law said in order to obey God, in order to please God. Look, if you would, at this unbroken man, this Pharisee. And look at his prayer. First of all, notice his stature. It says, the Pharisee stood. Now, standing for prayer isn't necessarily something wrong. But the the word here for stood is is a word that means to take a stand. You know, to, to stand in such a way so that you all would see him. For example, it would be, um, it would be like this. It would be like if, um, let's just say that we come to, you know, we come to the end of this service, okay? We're coming towards the end, and, and uh, it's, it's time to close. And, and, so, uh, and so Pastor Phil says, you know, hey, uh, Brother Tim, he says, would you mind, you know, closing us in prayer? You know, that shouldn't be too strange. Well, would it be a little bit strange if uh, he, you know, Pastor Phil bows his head, and Brother Tim just kind of walks up here. Comes right around here and he picks up the flowers, sets it over here, steps over this plant, stands on the middle of the offering table, spreads out his arms and says, let's pray. Would you get nervous? Well, yeah, you think, wow, never seen this before. You probably be you probably have your phone out wanting to record. Well, you who knows what Brother Tim's gonna do next. Who knows? And um, and so that's the idea of the word stood. It doesn't mean that he was just standing while he prayed. It means that he took a stand somewhere where everyone could see him. And so, because he wanted to make sure everybody knew how godly he was. It was important. It was important to the Pharisee that you knew he was spiritual. And that he loved God. And if you did not know it, you needed to know it. And so the Pharisee then, it says, that he stood and prayed thus. Notice who his um, his audience was when he prayed. It says, now, he does address God. But Jesus lets us know who he actually prays to. He prayed thus with himself. You know what the idea there is when it uses the preposition with? It has the idea that he was talking to himself. Now I went to Bob Jones University and uh, one thing if you go there is they give you an exceedingly great big diet of Shakespeare. How many of you ever seen Shakespeare before? You ever watched a Shakespeare play at some point in your life? Okay. How many of you actually like understood it? Okay. Uh, okay, some of you that hey, that is okay. You are not always expected to understand everything going on with Shakespeare. And um one of the things that Shakespeare would do and other and other um writers would do as well, they had this thing called the soliloquy. And a soliloquy was a big, fancy English word for he's talking to himself again. That's all a that's all soliloquy was. But what they would do, they'd have the play over here. And then the main character, he would like run over to, all the way over here to the side of the stage. And he'd stand over there. And he'd just all of a sudden start talking to himself. He'd look up there. Everyone's over here like eating lunch. And he's just uh, kind of talking to himself. And he's, you know, he's talking. And, and he's talking about, you know, oh, should I kill the king and take his place? And he's saying that. And I'm up in the bow. Thinking, hey man, I can hear you, and I bet you he can too. The king sitting right over there, and I think, and then I realized, okay, he's talking to himself, just like some of you do, okay? He's just talking to himself, and so, and so it's uh, the soliloquy is just really talking to himself, and that's who the Pharisee was praying to. He was not, he said, He's not, Jesus let us know, He's not praying to God, He's praying really to himself. Well, what does he he pray? Well, it says here in this verse, it says in verse number 11, he says, God, I thank thee. And The first thing you ought to notice there is what what he did not pray, and he starts off with, you know, a bunch of praise and all that kind of stuff. You know what uh, was not there? Confession of sin. You know, friend, when you go to prayer, I don't know how you can start prayer Without immediately thinking, why would God want to listen to me? I have failed him again. How, I don't know how you can get through the first few minutes of prayer without saying, oh goodness. Lord, I have some things I need to get right with you. How can I mean? If we're honest with ourselves, we would we would admit, oh my goodness, you know, I I am so sinful. I have so many things to confess to you, Lord. And even if I can't think of some right now, I know I ought to be confessing something to you, Lord. And maybe you've ever been there. And this, but this Pharisee, one of the things he's, he did not do when he prayed was he did not bother to confess his own sin, and instead. It says in verse number 11, he says, God, I thank thee. Uh, He says, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And there again, other men, that's the word for the rest or the the remaining. In other words, he's praying, saying, God, thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Lord, aren't you just impressed that I'm not like everybody else? So he flaunts off what he had not done. He talks about how, how great he was and how, how he had not done all these sinful things. In fact, he says in verse number 11, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. All you duh, people out there, he says, the extortioners, the, the, the people who steal stuff, uh, the unjust, the adulterers, the people who cheat on your spouse. He said, or even as this publican, he says, Lord, isn't it so great that I don't do all these sinful things. Can I tell you something, folks? It is a good thing he wasn't doing all those things, but you know what he did? When he looked to see, if this Pharisee was was asked, you know, would you say that you have a right relationship with God right now? He would say yes, because if he looked at the worst of sinners and compared himself to them, he looked pretty good, just like some of you. But folks, other sinners are not our comparison for if we're right with God. God is the standard. But you know what is really convenient is if we can switch out God and say, you know what, compared to God, oh my goodness, I don't look so spiritual. But if you can take your spouse and say, wow, my spouse has issues, has all these issues. At least I, uh, maybe I have these issues on the side. At least I don't do what he does. You know what that's called? Not being broken. Because when we start to excuse this and this and this, because we don't do this and this and this, you know what we need? Brokenness. Do you know what that really is? When we would say, God, aren't you impressed? I may be doing this and this and this, these kind of small things over here. At least, Lord, aren't you glad I'm not doing this and this and this and this? Doesn't that count for something, Lord? Friend, you need to be broken over your sin. You need to be broken over your sin. This Pharisee used other people as his standard. And he says, uh, I'm, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like all these other people. But then he says in verse number 12, then he flaunts what he had done. He says in verse 12, I fast twice in the week. In other words, Lord, aren't you impressed? I fast twice a week. Because, you know, the law, technically, the law only required the Jews to fast one day a year the Day of Atonement. That's actually the only one that they were required to do. Now, if they wanted to fast more than that, fine, no problem. But the Pharisee thought that because he fasted twice a week. ho. ho, ho, ho! look at me, Lord. Aren't you impressed? Can I say something, friend? You don't have some kind of better status before God uh, be, just, because you don't miss a, just because you don't miss a single service like so-and-so does. Oh, Lord, aren't you glad that I don't miss services like so-and-so? Oh, my goodness, Lord. Aren't you just impressed of how I do this for you, Lord? No, he's not. Because in your fervency to remind God of all the church services that you attend, God, however, is not impressed by your arrogance. And you need to be broken over your pride. God is not impressed. And in this, he goes on, he says, I, I, uh, I fast twice in the week. And then he says, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, this is interesting. The word possess is a word that means anything that I acquire, anything that I would buy. In other words, the, um, you know, if you're like me, you, you, you probably tithe, I hope you tithe, you probably tithe off of just your gross income. You just add up for me, I add up at the, I add up at the end of the month uh, how much I've made. I take 10% off of that, add a little bit on tithe. And I send that to my home church in Alabama. That's where I tithe. That's where I'm a member and all that. Well, this guy, because you know, our gross income, that's where you buy everything out of. So, uh, but this Pharisee, oh, let me tell you something. This Pharisee, if he bought something, he tithe 10% off of what he bought. In other words, if uh if the Pharisee went down to Little Caesars and bought a pizza, he would tithe 10% of that pizza. He would. He'd come into the pastor's office and say, You want a piece? Uh, if he was to buy a boat, he would, make, he would probably keep, log, keep a log of his hours and make sure that he spent 10% of the time on his boat having the youth group out for different activities. Not a bad thing to do. Why not? Sure, if you want to. But he thought that he could get away with this and this and this and this because he did this and this, and this. Oh, I give tithes of all that I possess. I give tithes of everything that I gain. And you know, it's interesting, Jesus Calls them out on this because the Pharisees, um, in Matthew 23, he says that they pay tithe out of mint and out of um, cumin, the spices. In other words, they would get spices and they would, uh, they'd, uh, they'd weigh it out. And they'd weigh it out and say, okay, this is the how much weight. So if I divide that, that weight by 10, that would be this much amount that would go over here. That is for the temple. This much is for me. And, you know, Jesus did not condemn them for taking a tithe off of their, of their spices. He condemned them because they omitted the weightier matters, the more important things such as law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And so he says, listen, I am not so impressed because the fact was these Pharisees, though they tried to say, this Pharisee tries to say, look at all the good things I do for you, God. Actually, Jesus says, you Pharisees are a bunch of fakes. Matthew 23, Jesus said that um, he called out all those woes on the Pharisee. He said, you know, you don't even keep your own rules. He called them out because they don't, didn't care about helping others. He called them out because they only kept some of their traditions. He called them out because what little they did, they just did it to be praised. Well, he called them out for fighting guests to get the best seats in the feast and at feasts and at the synagogue. He called them out for not wanting to serve others. He called them out for keeping people out of the kingdom of God. He called them out for being thieves stealing widows' houses. He called them out for their fake prayer. He called them out because they didn't care about the home, their home people. He called them out for breaking promises and oaths. He called them out for excusing themselves from law, justice, mercy, and faith. And he called them out for all these things and said, oh, you Pharisees, you look like you're super spiritual, but he says, you actually are not right with me. Though, yes, everyone sees all the good stuff you do, what about... This and this and this. You know, we're really good about renaming or excusing things that God calls sin. And we want God to be impressed because we read our Bibles every day. And because we show up to church every time the doors are open. And because we're an usher at church. And we expect God to excuse the things that he calls sin. Such as... When you follow your own plan for your life. You know, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says, uh, For this cause we also, since the first day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you, uh, to desire that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding. In other words, God says, you're to follow my plan for your life, not yours. So, friends tonight, if God has a plan for you and has given you instructions, you're supposed to be somewhere doing something and you're not doing it, you know what God calls that? sin. Oh, you say, Brother Matt, okay, that's not that bad. Friend, God calls it sin. So you need to be broken over it. What about the sin of worry? You know, what? Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful. Literally, be anxious about nothing. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, Jesus very clearly states, read it sometime, that if you worry, you are declaring for everyone to say, I don't trust God. But we feel very American and super spiritual to just say, well, I just, I'm just so concerned, so I worry a little bit. And we expect God to excuse our sin. And you wonder why God starts to seem a little far away. God calls worrying sin. Well, Brother Matt, at least I'm not committing adultery. Glad you're not. God still calls your worry sin. And you need to be broken over it. What about the sin of discontentment? You know, uh, Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in every, in, that in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Have you gotten discontent with your job? your health, your spouse, to the point where you just start to say, why do I have to have them, Lord? You know what God calls discontentment? Sin. Well, (laughs) Brother Matt, at least I'm not stealing from banks like the extortioners. Glad you're not. God still calls your discontentment sin, and you need to be broken over it. What about the sin of unthankfulness? You know, Ephesians 5 says we're supposed to give thanks always. For all things. You know, when we come to a situation, we just say, you know what? There is nothing in this situation. No, no aspect of this that I could say thank you to God. I, I'm just, I want nothing to do with anything that's happened here. You know what that's called? Sin. It's called being unthankful. Well, brother Matt, at least I'm not doing something really, really bad. Glad you're not. God still calls your unthankfulness sin. Friend, you need to be broken over it. What about pride? Are you that person? There's often one or more. Are you that person that is always, always right and never, ever wrong? I wonder is that because of pride? there's pride in your life. You need to be broken over it. What about selfishness? You know, Philippians chapter 2 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, don't be so concerned about yourself. Try to think about other people once in a while. Some of you in this room are so selfish, and all you can think about is what pleases you. And usually it shows up the most in your home. Or oh, maybe not at church where you need to make sure everybody thinks you're really spiritual. Kind of like the Pharisees. But at home, you expect everyone else to serve you. And you expect everyone else to do things for you. Because you, you have it harder than everyone else. Folks, we better get rid of the selfishness. Because God calls it sin. What about, the, uh, what about the sin of irritability and anger? You know, uh, Ephesians 4, 2 says with lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, it says forbearing one another in love. Oftentimes we think that, oh, just because, oh, we, we sort of rename our sin. Oh, well, I'm just a little irritable. Well, I'm just frustrated. I'm just a little angry. You know, God still calls that sin. We need to be broken over it. But, Brother Matt, at least I'm not doing adultery. Glad you're not. God still calls irritability and and becoming frustrated to anger and all that. God still calls that sin. What about envy? What about jealousy? What about gossip? Some of you might be uh, a storyteller. You know, Proverbs 18, verse 8 says, The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down to the innermost parts of the belly." It says a, a talebearer, literally a storyteller. Doesn't have to be a false story, even if the story is true. And you say, "Oh, well, okay, so maybe I talk about people a whole lot, but at least, at least I don't like steal from them, I like the extortioners and the unjust." Glad you're not doing that. God still calls your gossip sin, and you need to be broken over it. What about uh, the, stuff we, the stuff we look at, the stuff we listen to, the way we dress? Oh, there's so many things we could put in there. And, and we excuse our sin but like this. We, uh, oftentimes we, we just say, well, that's just the way I am. Or we like to say, well, that's just the way life's always been. Or that's just the way our family is. I remember hearing one person once, uh, she said, you know, there's a, she's, I remember very clearly she said, you know, there's often a whole lot of yelling in our home, but you know, there's also a whole lot of loving. In other words, it is okay to sin against your family so long as you show them some love somewhere down the road. If you're home like that, friend, you need to be broken over your sin and quit excusing it. Uh, Some people want to say, well, this, the what you see, that's just my personality. Or people say, well, I struggle. I have flesh just like everybody else. Yes, you do. You're still responsible for your sin. Or people want to say, well, uh, it's just the way our area of the country is. Or people say, the devil's pressure was too great. You do realize that Eve didn't get off the hook for that, right? Neither will we. Or people want to say, you know, if it wasn't for this person in my life, I could please God. Now you sound like Adam. And God didn't take his excuse either. Or we want to say, oh, well, this is just our culture. Or this is just the way my my environment is or my home is. And friends, we try to excuse away our sin when God says, I want you to be broken over it. You know, Roy Hessian, his ministry was literally stopped because he refused to get right with God for however many months it was to get right with God about for him the way he treated his wife. You know, some of you have maybe some kids that are far away from the Lord. Some of you have ministries here at the church. Some of you have people that you're really reaching out to trying to win to the Lord. Some of you have neighbors that are really, their souls are really important to you. Friend, if they're that important, why won't you be broken over the sin that is blocking the power of God in your life? Let's look then at the broken man. Like I said, this guy will be brief. Uh, the, the second man, verse 10 told us that two men went up into the temple to pray. The first was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. You know what a publican was? Tax collector. Think IRS, but a lot worse. You think Does it doesn't get that bad? Yes, it, it really can. Because here's what here's what really made the publicans just disgusting to the Jews. Um, because. What happened was, you know, you've got these uh, these governments that had these empires that had overtaken the Jews, and so you know they're going to tax the Jews. Well, uh, one of the smart things that the um, that the Roman Empire, which was the the one over top of them right now, in Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter eighteen, one of the things that they would do is they would hire locals to extract the taxes from the people because you know they spoke the language they spoke the language. They also knew when the locals were trying to you know make excuses locals know locals best and so they were hiring all these local jews to extract taxes from the jews imagine it like this imagine that we got taken over pick your least favorite nation imagine that we got taken over by china russia just imagine that imagine imagine if the streets of nampa you would see jeeps going down you would see tanks going down they're not they're not us camouflage they're chinese we're Americans. You know how that would boil inside of us? And yet there's nothing we can do. We've been taken over. There's nothing we can do. We're we're just, we've all been squelched. And so now the soldiers are going up and down the streets. Okay. So then there's this law about, we got to pay extra taxes, ridiculous taxes to the Chinese takeover government. Well, you know, of course, we're good Americans, which means we ain't paying them. And then uh, finally one day, of course, the computer system shows we haven't paid these taxes. And so finally there's a knock at the door you open the door, and there's standing maybe so-and-so from church. And you say, hey, how you doing? And you look behind, and you say, why, um, why do you have two, uh, two of the Chinese soldiers with them? You probably use like a slang term that we'd, we'd probably come up with some kind of dirty name to call these soldiers. Why do you have two of them with you? Well, um, and what's that thing on your arm? Why do you have—are you working for them now? I do. And your friends, your friends at the door says, I do. And uh, I am here to, uh, according to such and such computer and statements, you have not paid your taxes. And it's someone from church. You know how you'd like look them in the eye and just think, what is wrong with you? Traitor. That's what you, that's what you say to him. Traitor. It'd be one thing if some Chinese dude came up to me and was taking money from me but you, you're American. You're like me, traitor. And that's how the Jews viewed publicans. Because they worked for the foreign takeover government, and so they viewed them as traitors. They were considered unclean, Jews-hated publicans. Why? That's why Zacchaeus Matthew, these guys were just hated by the public. But what does it say? Notice what it says about the publican. It says in verse 13 that the publican, standing afar off, Notice where he stood he wasn't standing uh, he wasn't standing on the table like brother Tim was doing you know he's he's not on the table with his arms out you know he's, it says he's standing afar uh, off back over kind of in the corner where no one else would see him it says he was standing afar uh, off standing at a distance because he saw his unworthiness to come before God can I tell you something friend one of the smartest things you can learn is to realize that we do not have a worthiness to stand before God even after you get saved. We do not have some kind of intrinsic worth that makes it so that, oh, uh, you know, we, we just have, we could just, uh, you know, do whatever we want. Now, the nice thing is, God lets us come into his throne room at any time to, to make prayer to God. But uh, I love how Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And righteousness from the god of his salvation this is the generation of them that seek him in other words the point is is that this fair this publican saw i am not worthy for god to give me two seconds of his time some of you might be like the pharisee and you think Yo, well you know i do a lot for god he really ought to be paying attention right about now this publican saw how sinful he was And it says in verse uh, 13, he was standing afar off. It says he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. In other words, um, he he was standing afar off. In other words, God was the only one that could hear him. With his head down, no one else could hear him. No one else could hear the mumbles and the groans coming out of his mouth. No one but God. Because he saw, you know, he didn't compare himself. Am I better than this publican? Am I better than the Pharisee? Am I better than, you know, so-and-so that I know, friend, person from church? In other words, he saw God's whole. And said, "Oh no, I am so sinful." And when he saw how how holy his God was, his prayer was so uh, was desperate. It says he smote upon his breast, and it was a sign of mourning. In other words, his sin alarmed him. It scared him when he realized, oh my goodness, God is so holy and I've been doing so much sin, it alarmed him. Friend, does it alarm you how angry you have become? Does it alarm you how selfish you have become? Does it alarm you how much, how much you be, you've started to lie? Does it alarm you how much dirt you've started to allow over your TV? Does it alarm you how the way you've started to talk to your spouse in the last six months? Does it alarm you the way you've started, you, teenagers have been treating your parents? Does it alarm you that your sin is building up? It did to the publican. And when it built up, he sa- it says that he came in his prayer sm- smiting upon his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. By the way, in the Greek, there is a definite article in front of the word sinner, which means you could even say it, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Don't we often like to remind God that, oh, Lord, you want to see a sinner? In this whole situation, check out my spouse. Next room over. You want to see a sinner? There's a sinner. Well, that kind of prayer is never going to experience forgiveness nor mercy. But the publican said, God, be merciful to me. I'm the sinner. You want to know some mercy from God tonight? Don't try to blame someone else for your own sinful choices. Say, it's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me who has violated your holy name. And in verse number number 14, Jesus gave kind of the people there a surprise uh, surprise ending. He says, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified with a right standing before God rather than the other. The people would have thought the Pharisee would have had the right standing before God. But uh, Jesus said, no, it's the publican, he says, for everyone that exalted themselves shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. In other words, when the publican was willing to drop his pride and say, God, I have offended you with my sin. When he was finally willing to do that, friend, there was mercy from God. I don't know about you, but I can tell you this. Some of you, your prayer life with God is completely blocked off because you're not willing to get something right with the Lord because you've decided it's too small. Friend, brokenness is calling sin. Whatever God calls sin, no matter how small.